Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. Just drop that ass, bitch, it's open micers in the house. Pop that pussy with that open micers logo in your mouth. Jason with his bald ass head, Jacob looking in bed. It's open micers, bitch, heard what I said. Drop that ass, drop that ass, open micers in the house. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. Open micers in the house, open micers in the mouse. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. The mic is now open. That's right. The mic is now open. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. I cannot wait to get our <laughs> guest's opinion on that atrocious piece of music we call a theme song. But I'm going to introduce him for you guys first. We have a very special guest uh, on this episode. One of my personal top 10 dream guests to ever interview in any facet of life. And I'm so happy we have him here on the podcast. He's a comic that you know from. Three seasons of Sullivan and Son. You know him from appearing on The Tonight Show 10 times. You know him from his multiple stand-up specials. You know him from his fantastic film that he wrote and directed, The Opening Act. And you can actually stream his newest stand-up special right now on punchup.live called The Champagne of Comedy. It's very good. I highly recommend it. It's the one and only Steve Byrne. How you doing, my friend? Great. I, I think uh, the intro song sets the bar so low. It's like, all right, the comedy's got to be. It's got to make up for her. It, yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. You would think. You would think. It's pretty bad, yeah. And, and this was provided to us from a local musician. No. Who, yeah, dude, he's been on our show multiple times. And... So not like a national act. That was actually local. Wow, okay, that's surprising to me. I would have no. never seen that curveball coming. <laughs> Yeah, no, he does not do arenas at all. Okay. He's, he's just a local guy. And and he has since like started like a beef with me about like how he thinks his music is better than my comedy is. And I'm like, oh, how bad so, does everyone think my comedy is? Well, you mean it, it got real or? I mean, it's a, it's a little he's kind of playing, but it's a little real, you know? OK. That's a, that's always a fun area to be in where it's like, wait, what's going on? Are we are, are you like really pissed? right yeah all right, well, here's well. the thing i was i was uh i caught some of his uh he did a uh a, a facebook live the other night and uh he was on there talking about his beef with jacob and it looked like he was doing some sort of like hardcore right-wing conspiracy like uh what would you call it jacob like like some kind of like <sighs> I don't know. Like he, he was putting out some kind of weird, hard right wing, uh, like terrorist type of, of thing. Like he had this dude behind him that was like lifting weights and he's like got, you know, camouflage on. He's wearing like a gas mask or whatever. 
you know, it's like, it was really weird. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Well, you fucked with the wrong militia, I think is what we're learning. That's crazy. <laughs> to, uh, wow, a man of many talents. Yeah, it was like he was putting yeah. out a manifesto. That was, that, was yeah. the, uh, that was the word I was trying to think of. Like, he was doing some little weird manifesto thing, and, and I'm kind of scared, because I, I don't want to die on the podcast now because of, because of your beef, Jacob. I think we'll be okay. I mean, if, if, his, if he's as, as adept at killing people as he is at writing music, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because he's not good at writing music. That was a very roundabout way of saying. I and the feud continues. <laughs> the feud continues, but there's no reason to talk about him while we have Steve Burns sitting right in front of us, dude. That's such a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> this is a giant waste of our time to be wasting it on Mark Simmons when we could be asking Steve Burns questions. Fuck um, you, Mark Simmons. <laughs> yeah, dude. We're gonna clip that, Jason. No, that's a that. clip right there. <laughs> clip that, uh, Steve. Dude, I am so I'm I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I'm struggling to not like sure. high pitch scream fangirl over you being here with us because I'm, I'm a giant Please, fan I, of yours. Thank you very um, much for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, dude. I resonated so much with your movie um, from the very beginning because full disclosure, I used to watch your stand up specials with my dad all the time. So like you would be one of the guys on the TV screen at the beginning crawl of like my life story. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate um, that. Of course, dude. Uh, I'm curious to know, like, how many, how many of those comics we see in that opening crawl are, like, your real-life influences, and how many, are, like, you know, maybe left-field influences did you have coming up? Well, when, when we're doing the film, it's not, like, you know, strictly my... You know, you're, you're getting a wide variety, especially these days. you got to be very, you know, diverse. But the one I really wanted to make sure was in it with, was uh, Margaret Cho. Yeah, of course. Because uh, Margaret, obviously, is, is like the Asian Richard Pryor. you got to kiss the ring, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one disappointment to me was Joe Coy, because I wanted to, um, you know, given that Jimmy's Asian-American, uh, I thought it'd be, you know, you want a wide diversity, but I wanted Joe to be in the beginning as well. Um, and he never got back to me, which was kind of a, that to me was very disappointing. Huh. It was like, I want to, I want to be somewhat communal in it within our, within the community. Not that it, not by any means is that, that the film has got to be Asian American. Cause as you saw, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, it just like, I wanted the subtext to be there of like, well, he was probably inspired by people that have, uh, a, a similar background. That's it. Right. Am I sensing some Mark Simmons-esque Joe Coy beef brewing? Right no, here no, 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 no. But I just, I, I just wanted to make sure, like, I, I was putting in the right. right comics, like popular comics, somebody that, like, Jimmy present day would have been influenced by back in the day, you know. Right. And, and so if, if that was completely about you, like, what three comics would you say would pop up on that screen? Well, for me, it, it's very different. I, like, I started... I graduated college in Ohio. I moved to New York City. I got a job on a whim at Caroline's Comedy Club. I never, never in a million years intended to be a stand-up, never been to a stand-up show, never loved stand-up. It wasn't like it was something I grew up with, like, you know, like Jimmy in the film. I was just kind of like, I got there, and after three or four months, I was like, fuck, that looks like fun. I think I could do that. And that's how it happened for me. So I wasn't really even influenced until years later where... Obviously, when I started, I love Brian Regan. I love Gaffigan. Uh, 
of like the kids I was coming up with at the time, like Bill Burr and Jim Norton were two guys like I saw, you know, two or three years older than me, but looked up to them of like, wow, that's an authentic voice. Like even back then at 22, 23, I knew like if I could just be that natural with my voice, that'd be fantastic. And I think that's why those guys have resonated. Geraldo, somebody else, uh, Colin Quinn, again, like all these New York guys were really influential. But then I got older, developed my own voice. And now, like I've gone down this rabbit hole of exploring, like like uh, doing an homage to the classic one-liners and Carson-esque monologues. So you see right there, it's Dean Martin, Bob Hope. On the top is Jack Benny and Carson. And there was a little TV guide. Um, TV guides with those guys on the cover. So, you know, I've really like gone down the rabbit hole uh, on those guys and, and learning as much as I can about them and the cadence and the style of, of comedy that they were doing. So I think, you know, it's always changing. It's always evolving, at least for me, of like who I'll just happen to be inspired by. So if right. you didn't grow up like, you know, liking stand-up comedy or anything like that when you did get into it was it one of those things where you're like all right well i need to go back and sort of try to absorb as much as i can well, i mean i grew up point. watching like Amy's, uh you know caroline's comedy hour evening at the improv with bud friedman i mean i'd watch those things with my dad but by no means was it like my holy grail like oh my god i gotta watch sunday at eight o'clock it was just like stand-up was always on in the 80s so it was something you know, I'd do it with my dad. I'd do it with my dad and brother. We'd watch stand-up together. So I was very familiar with everybody. It wasn't until like years later, like I remember one of my first professional gigs, was like, oh my God, that's Bobby Collins. That's Bob Nelson. Like these guys I would see on TV and then working at Dangerfields, I was like, holy shit. I remember watching the Young Comedian special and seeing Dom Irera and Sam Kinison, the same one. And, you know, then all of a sudden I'm working with Dom years later and friends with the guy. So it's a pretty surreal experience, I think especially those first few years when you're starting to see people that you were friends with. And even when I was doing the opening act, one of the greatest moments of my life was we were filming the film at the Old Bray Improv and the new improv had just opened. And I'd heard Dana Carvey was performing at the new improv. And I had maybe 15 minutes in between like filming a scene. I ran over and I was like, I, I just want to introduce myself and meet Dana Carvey. And I walk in and I'm like, uh, Mr. Carvey, I'm working next door. He goes, Steve Byrne. I go, oh my God. It was one of those surreal <laughs> moments where yeah. I had a church lady poster from SNL <laughs> hanging in my room as a, as a, like an eighth grader. And I was like, oh my God, he, you know who I am. And it was one of those surreal, great experiences. And I think even to this day, you could, you know, 25 years for me doing this, there's still moments that will come in and out of your career where you still feel like a little kid and, and you're enthused and surprised by it. Were you a huge fan of SNL or just huge, yeah. certain people? Huge fan of SNL. I grew up with, you know, Farley, uh, Sandler, Carvey, yeah. Mike Myers, Spade, Rock. Um, that was kind of like my introduction into it. And then going into the, you know, they'd have those anniversary specials or whatever. But Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, and I think Bill Murray, those are just uh, like three people that, like I'm just on board anything they do. It's just like I'm laughing the minute you come on screen. I know something great's going to happen. So those those were always kind of like my my favorite. Yeah, I always feel like that that era that was my era as well. Like you know the, mm -hmm. uh, Dana Carvey and Adam Sandler on Chris Farley. That was to me was the golden age of SNL. Like I love the early stuff too. When I was sure. a little kid, like my dad, you know, loved the early stuff with 
you know, Bill Murray and all the, all those people. But you know, that era was my era. And I, and maybe I sound like an old man and we've talked to different comedians about this before, but I just feel like SNL's kind of lost something over the last. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I, I think what, what it is is they went from, from a character driven sketch show to a premise driven sketch show. Yes. So nowadays what, what they're doing is just, there's a funny premise. Let's explore it. And now you only see the characters on Weekend Update. Mm-hmm. And that's why Update has always been my favorite part of the show. Because, again, you're getting topical one-liners, but you're also seeing an infusion of characters. Which, to me, now the best part of the show is like that eight minutes section. The rest of it can, I, I don't know, I don't enjoy it as much as I used to because yeah. I, I love the characters. I think that's, that's what it really boils down to for me, too. Like, you don't have people like Canteen Boy. Or, you know, thing like Chris Farley with uh, Van Down by the River, like those great yeah. characters. You don't have those anymore. It's, it's kind of a bummer, but at the same time, that show is evolving and changed with the times, and hopefully one day they go back to, you know, characters at some point. I would just love to live right. in a world that's not so political. <laughs> it would just be nice, you know? It's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Jason, I hate to break it to you, buddy, <laughs> yeah. but that's I might be. be I might be dead before before the world is not so political again. Yeah, yeah you're probably gonna be, buddy. It's yeah. coming soon. Anyways, <laughs> let's get back to asking Steve and questions again. Um, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, like sort of the, I, I would say retro influences to your stand up, and I think you've sort of adapted that in a way where. It's not only a retro look, like we see that in Champagne of Comedy, The Last Late Night. It's a retro look, but it's also an evolution of the game as well. I mean, was that something that you were, you were kind of going for? Like sort of a, an evolution, but also like a, you know, sort of a callback to the, to the days of the early late nights? Well, I think like to Jason's point, I mean, things are so politicized these days. And what happens is there's such a... You know, all the all the the scales are tipped towards the left. You know, I grew up with Carson, Leno, Letterman. That was kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, but especially Leno and Carson, I was much younger. I was a kid when Carson was on, but I knew enough that this guy was pretty centrist. You know, who is ever in a position of power, whoever the president is, he's going to make fun of him. Same with Leno. I think towards the back half of Letterman's career, he he started just saying, "Fuck it, I'm just going to be who I am authentically." which worked for him, but also he started getting a little more cantankerous, but he was also very liberal. And I think what happened is everybody, everybody followed suit, and now every single late-night talk show, all the political satire shows are all hard left. And so what I wanted to do was do that format. My favorite was the, is always the monologue. I always love the late-night talk show, start off with the monologue. So I was like, I'd love to do one where it's more centrist, and it kind of cuts down the middle, and everybody gets it. So that was kind of like the point with the last late night was doing it. You know, that, that special, unfortunately for me, it's the best work I've ever done. It's so, I worked so hard on it, but it's like suppressed on Amazon because it is political, right? I mean, I have some jokes that hit on the hard left as much as I hit on the hard right, but mm-hmm. the executives are obviously left and they didn't like that. So they dialed, they dial it down. Right. Yeah. Which, which is a bummer, but at the same time, the 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 whole point of doing it was you're seeing three different styles of writing in a late night talk show. You're getting one liners for 20 minutes. 
You're getting storytelling, which is panel when you sit at the desk, that's 20 minutes, and then you get traditional stand up at the end. So, two, four, six, that's an hour worth of material, all in a very digestible format that we all know the late night talk show. And as I started doing it and exploring it, what I found is that the attention span on all your socials on your phone, it's perfect. 10, 15 seconds, you do that monologue joke, it's on there. And I think what's happening now is these videos, especially from my end, are kind of really resonating with people because, because um, late night talk shows, nobody watches them anymore. People don't tune in. People don't watch. They know it's going to be hard left. And so me being centrist, I'm trying to hit everybody. But at the same time, it, I'm kind of kissing the ring to a dying format of entertainment, which is the late night talk show. The variety show was popular in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's dead and gone. I think the late night talk show in another five to 10 years, that'll be dead and gone. Um, it, it's a shame, but it's something I grew up with. It benefited my early career. And I've really done the research and gone down the rabbit hole on all of them. Carson, Leno, Letterman, the, the books by Bill Carter, the Conan-Leno feud, and how the biggest casualty of it was always George Lopez. Nobody ever talks about him. Everybody always sympathized with, with Conan, but it's like, Conan... What Leno did to Conan, Conan did exactly to George Lopez. And Lopez is like the one guy that nobody ever talks about. It's like the guy was riding high. He was successful. He was getting great ratings. And then he was as cordial as Conan was to, to Leno. But then, you know, he was the biggest casualty of it all, which is a bummer. So, I, I, you know, I really do love the late night talk show art form. And again, it, it's just uh, it's going by the wayside. Yeah, that's really unfortunate as well that it, you know, it, it's going away because. I mean, we saw it with the last late night. Like, it, it's a format that has always worked. It can always work if you just fill it with the right material, I feel like. Yeah, you hope to. But these days, again, you know, especially if you're trying to do something creative, you know, out of the echo chamber of Hollywood, they're going to suppress it, unfortunately. If I put any joke up right now that mentions Trump, Biden, Kamala Harris, you know, Chris Christie, whatever, instantly on Facebook, on all the socials, they get suppressed immediately. There's, there's an absolute difference between just a normal standard monologue joke I have and anything that is somewhat political. It, you can see it in real time get dialed down. And I've worked with people and I talk to people that work in Silicon Valley and for Facebook, and they tell me, oh yeah, it, it, absolutely, it gets suppressed. So it, it, it's a bummer, but um, it, it's a sign of the times, and that's why I think people move away from the gatekeepers of the streamers and broadcast networks and are doing things like this, right? Where you have the liberty to do these things and say these things. Do you think 100%. the late night talk show uh, sort of thing? I mean, it's been such a staple of pop culture for so long. Do you think it, it can be saved, or do you think it's kind of too far gone? I don't think so, because it means something to you and I, right? It means something to us because we grew up with it. We're familiar with it. but. To my daughter, who's 11, to my son, who's seven, if I told them, hey, I'm, I'm going to be on The Tonight Show tomorrow, they'd be like, what is The Tonight Show? Yeah. They have no idea what The Tonight Show is. And I think anybody under the age of 25, they could care less. They don't give a shit. I mean, there's a writer's strike going on right now. And during the last few strikes, which I remember, people would always be like, oh, my God, I wonder what Leno and Letterman are going to say about it tonight. I wonder what they're going to do. They're going to go on the air without writers? Like... What are they going to do? And nowadays, nobody cares. All five of those guys are doing a podcast together. And nobody yep. gives a flying fuck about anything they say. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how insignificant. Look, if you gave the Late Late Show with James Corden, I mean, it, 
if you asked nine out of ten comics, w- would you want to do it? I, I, I think half of them would be like, I, I think I'm comfortable doing my podcast, actually. I make more money. I have more liberty to say what I want. I'm not beholden to networks. And also, like, do I have to worry about getting an audience in every night? Do I, am I going to be worried about the content I'm allowed to say? Am I going to get in trouble because I tweeted something last night at 2 in the morning? Like, there's so many more ramifications uh, with an antiquated, old-school way of doing business. Uh, yeah. I don't think those executives understand just how powerful these podcasts really are at the end of the day and, and the independent nature that a lot of comics have and the freedom that they're garnering. Uh, yeah. Speaking I- of... Oh, go ahead, Jacob. Oh, I I was just going to say, I mean, in terms of viewers as well, like you think about how many people watch this show hosted by, you know, two nobodies versus think about a show like Whiskey Ginger, right? Hosted Mm -hmm. by Andrew Santino. I guarantee you that podcast does thousands of more listeners an episode than the Tonight Show does viewers an episode. Like, sure. I mean, and the view and the viewership ultimately is coming from YouTube, and they're generating more revenue probably off the YouTube clips than the actual, you know, right. you know, Firestone or Geico commercials that NBC's running from twelve thirty to one thirty in the morning. You know, I mean, who knows? But it, it, it's all changed so so dramatically. But unfortunately, it is one of the casualties, and they've tried multiple times to do a talk show format on the streamers, and it's never clicked. Yeah. yeah. And, and so here's a theory for you, Steve, because I've, we've talked about this before on the, on the show recently, I think. But mm-hmm. do you think that the, the major difference is not a sign of the times, but the fact that, you know, the late night shows in 2008, 2009 were hosted by legendary comics like Craig Ferguson, Jay Leno, and David Letterman. And then now they're not really hosted by any real funny comics. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I think, I think entertainment's so fractured. I think even 10 years ago, it meant something to, you know, to see Channing Tatum. I, I, I don't know, Ryan Gosling. It's like, oh my God, I, I, I get to see him and he's not in character and he's in a movie. But yeah, now everybody's just following him on Tinder or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. So <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. You're seeing him every day, right? Or, or every day, if you follow him, you could find clips of him every day. So it's not as, yeah. It's not as special. It's not as uh, revealing as it used to be. And I think some of the uh, mystique of Hollywood is gone. And I think that's why even when you go around Hollywood nowadays, the cachet and the glamour of Hollywood is absolutely gone. It's nowhere to be seen. It's unfortunate. And I think that's why it was, it was great to see like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, because you're seeing this nugget of like a time capsule when when Hollywood meant something, when movie stars meant something, where even being a TV star did mean something. And nowadays, you could, have a, you could sign me to a five-year sitcom on CBS right now, and I would complete those five years. I would walk around in a mall after the fifth year, and I guarantee nobody would even recognize me. And that's, that's a sad sign of the times, but it just doesn't matter. What they're manufacturing doesn't matter. What matters is guys and gals doing something in a studio in their basement and connecting with a niche audience and making a very good living off it. Not only that, but like it's, it's the influencers that everybody flocks to now that are super famous. Like there really aren't very many like movie stars anymore. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's, we still have like Tom Cruise and people like that, but you know, there aren't any, 
Arnold Schwarzeneggers anymore or anybody that you're Careful, like. Look, I'll tell you. you know? I mean, let, let's say you go to. Let's say we we, we go to. I have a I have a, a, this portal. You know, magic. I can snap my fingers. Anybody. Can, so let's say I we're at a Chili's in Indiana, okay, <laughs> and I snap my fingers. Miles Teller is going to come in and ask for a table. Like, how many people are going to be excited to see Miles Teller, right? Yeah. But then I go, okay, I'm going to snap my fingers. A Theo Vaughn's going to end up at that at that host stand, and then watch how many more people run up. Oh my God, Rat King, can I get a picture? It's like that's where mm-hmm. we're at these days. And I'm not negating Miles Teller. I think he's just the person that came to my mind. He's a very talented actor. He's done incredible work. Whiplash is one of my favorite films of all time. But did, does he still, does he have the resonance, you know, in four or five popular films that Theo does? And Theo's connecting with somebody every day for an hour and a half. Like, and on top of that, the hour specials he's done. You know, so these are just examples. But I just don't think that that, that, that bandwidth of investment from a lot of people of like, I listen to Theo five days a week or, you know, whatever it might be compared to the resonance of a film that you liked because even films these days don't have the cash shit that they used to. So, well, it's all about the parasocial relationships now, Uh, you know, like even, even with this show, we have like our hardcore fans. Like we, we have a whole uh, chat uh, text group with like our producers and stuff like that. Our, you know, our Patreon producers. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like we have a relationship with the people that really like the show and, and even with other podcasters and stuff like, like you said, with Theo Vaughn, like people go listen to his podcast, you know, sure. every week and he has that relationship with those people. It, it, actors don't really have that parasocial relationship where you just sort of zone in with people nowadays. Listen yeah. to Jason putting that college degree to work, dude. Saying parasocial <laughs> relationship three times in a row. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can get the big words out every, every once in a while. Okay. Well, so, all right, we've been talking for about 30 minutes now. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to a little timeline here, Steve. What, what we kind of do on the show okay. is we sort of create a timeline of when you started comedy to where you ended up. Okay. And so I want to take things back to your very first ever open mic. If you can remember it, what oh, year was well, it? Yeah. What year was it? Uh, where in the world were you? And how did the set go? September 30th, 1997 was my first time ever on stage. I was at the New York comedy club. Uh, in New York City. Um, I was stressed out. I had been practicing it for like a week in front of a mirror, going over my lines. And fortunately for me, it went very, very well. Um, look, by no means am I proud of any of the material I was doing, <laughs> yeah. but, but I certainly sold it. And I did well enough that I felt confident to do it a second time. Um, and I think had that first time been devastating, I don't know if I would have continued on, but the first time, I, I certainly did well enough to think, okay, I want to do it again. And I, I put so much pressure on myself. I was so stressed. Afterwards, I came out of the club and just went outside and just started crying. I just emotionally put so much into it. And the relief, it, I was just, I felt so relieved that it was over with. And I was like, oh my God, all that hard work, it paid off. And I just like wept. And I also knew in that moment, it was like, all right, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So I just knew. That's it. I don't care if I ever make a dime doing this. That's I'm hooked. And it was like, 
you know, the first, especially eight years, stand up to me was like the hottest girl I've ever been around. And I couldn't wait to see her every night. Every time it ended, I couldn't wait to see her again. I was like obsessed with her. Uh, you know, I'd have friends visit from out of town in New York City. I, I'd say, come meet me, but I, I got to get my work done. New Year's Eve, Christmas, didn't matter. I was at the cellar every night. So I was absolutely hooked. Absolutely. Loved it. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what was that moment that you were like, this is what I want to do? It was the first time. Yeah. Wow. I just knew instantly that that, that was, uh, I was like, oh, God, it was just the, the, the thought that you could write something down on a napkin and then take it into a room full of strangers and get that reaction and, you know, kind of like, you know, be the life of the party. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, of course I want to do that. And when you're 22, you know, in New York City, it's like you get to do that and go to like some of the hottest clubs in the city. And there's like all these tourists and young girls that are visiting. And it's like, it was the greatest introduction. So, you know, professionally, it was amazing. But for uh, a kid who's 22, you know, socially, it was the greatest thing to ever happen. Mm -hmm. when, like, I was going out every night, you know, you know, just having the, the time of my life. I, I, I absolutely went for it. A hundred percent. So what is your, so for, your your writing process like? Is Do you actually sit down for like some comics like to sit down for like an hour a day and try to write something or are you just sort of like write it down as it comes? No, I think, I, you know, especially, you know, when I was younger, yes, I would do that. And um, I, 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 I'd go through different phases where I would like improv stuff. I'd take a funny idea, I'd record it and listen back to it. And now with the topical stuff, it's fun to kind of like, understand the algorithm of setup, setup, ironic twist, setup, setup, ironic twist. So that's kind of fun. But for the most part, like, you know, going through the news, going through headlines, spending a little bit of time working on those. And then also just like going out to the clubs and just doing crowd work is one of my favorite things to do. When I was younger, if I was doing seven or eight spots a night, I would take one set and be like, all right, at least one set, go up with no material and work on your crowd work. So I would do that, and nowadays I, I spend so much time writing my, my feature scripts that, um, that I'm so burnt out on writing, I, I don't really have as much time as I used to to do it on stand-up. So I just go to do crowd work to blow off steam, literally to just blow off steam, to be on stage, to do that, have that connection, but at the same time still like just kind of like figure it out and live by the wire, which I, is something I, I really love doing. And I think the audience appreciates it. Unfortunately, nowadays, everybody's doing crowd work. But at the same time, I think if you're, you know, if you're, if you're damn good at it and you worked hard at it, uh, the cream rises to the top. So we'll see. Crowd work terrifies me. <laughs> I don't know why. It just does. Oh, it's the best. We got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. All right, Jason has no elaboration on why crowd work terrifies him. I <laughs> nope. guess I'll jump in here. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to jump in. I know this, 
this is like we usually have like musical guests on that yeah. you know that like i i've been listening to since i was a kid and like i you know i geek out so now it's jacob's turn to geek out so but here, out. here's the thing what i'll tell you about crowd work right is that people think because you're a stand-up you can just go up and just be a stand it's like there's different gears to it all right so mm-hmm. roasting different gear storytelling different gear set a punch different gear uh traditional stand-up different gear crowd work different gear so over the years i've tried to do and force myself in a situation so i was like all right let me try storytelling which has never been something i did but for last late night you know i i knew i was going to do panels so i was like all right let me try to do some storytelling with that especially in the back half on the very end of it um even like the monologue jokes, that's that's a totally different cadence, a totally different style, totally different delivery, totally different way of writing. So I studied that for like five years, and a good friend of mine, Argus Hamilton, was very, very helpful with me and instrumental because he's, he's somebody who's a comedy store regular, a total vet, and one of my favorite human beings on the planet. So, you know, all these things, I, I've tried to, almost like in a Bruce Lee kind of way, take all the different elements of like fighting and put it into like, Mixed martial arts, it's like, for me, just personally, on my journey, I'm trying to explore all the different styles and deliveries that you can, you know, execute on stage as stand-up. And um, one of my strong suits absolutely is crowd work. Uh, The one-liners, which five years ago I'd never done in my life, that's like a bread and butter part of my career now. And storytelling is a lot of fun, too. I I enjoy it. But, um, you know, I I think if you feel like, ah, I'm I'm so scared, it, it frightens me, it's like, that's all the reason more why you should do it. I think especially as crowd work, every single night, something's going to go wrong. A waitress is going to drop a glass. Somebody's going to yell something. The more you put yourself in that situation where you have to reflex, reflexively say something humorous in real time, it's only going to benefit you. And eventually, you know, God forbid, you're, you know, fingers crossed you're doing theaters. Well, guess what? Now you can shift gears and give the audience a total package show as opposed to just sitting up there and not knocking anybody, but if you're just one gear for 60 minutes, I mean, the show's going to get pretty boring, especially when you know the yeah. comics' cadence, right? I mean, we all know there's jo- there's writers and comics that we all know. It's just like after after 40 minutes, you just get like sick of it. It's like okay, here it comes, here it comes, boom, here it comes, here it comes. You know, you just you got to mix it up. I think. Well, yeah. a lot of reason why why I am terrified of it is because I I am uh, almost deaf in my left ear. So it's really hard for me to hear, you know, people when I'm up on stage doing stuff. So I don't want to oh, be up right there right. going, huh? What'd you say? Huh? Because I'm an old man sure. now. You know, I played drums. I'll play for, into it, to, maybe. You know, I played, you know? I played drums for 25 years. So my, my left ear yeah. is almost gone at this point. And this is where I say, Jason, just wear your hearing aids. <laughs> you old decrepit you piece of shit put I, your I, hearing aid in your ear i guess i could but that then it's that, the full solution that if you're really... at, if you're at a rowdy show and you think someone's gonna yell something at you put your <laughs> hearing aid in so you have a comeback yeah but then if i put my hearing aid in then i really am an old man at that point Dude, like, yeah but you play comeback. into it you know you play into it when somebody's shitting on you you just say oh i gotta i, I turned you down I didn't even hear you. Yeah. You know, you just fuck around with it. Yeah. Lean into it. Totally. Yeah, or just, just that. that's your thing. Just put your hearing aid on and be like, I'm about to destroy this motherfucker right now. You guys have no idea. Yeah. Wait until I can hear you, yeah. dude. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, Steve, was crowd work ever a, like a mountain for you to climb? Because I know that like sort of the climax of the opening act was Will like 
struggling with the hecklers and then finally figuring out like how to get back at them and have the you know the final good show uh i I don't know it's definitely a part of it you know i think i think the crowd work was just like him going up on radio look the whole film is in general right it's a kid's first time ever going on the road so you know in general it was taking everything that can go wrong for a comic and combining it over the course of four days and multiplying it and constantly tighten the vice on him and understanding that you know the four days that he's on the road it's an encapsulation of the next 10 years really that's what it is it's just like if you're not growing if you're not learning from those experiences if you're not like learning the third time you get punched in the face maybe the fourth time like try to block it you don't deserve to be doing it so Mm -hmm. Will Chu in this movie is just like getting his teeth kicked in every single night and then finally like learning, okay, the third time I, maybe I should duck or, or whatever it might be. So he was prepared for it. Yeah, he was absolutely prepared for it. And, you know, whether it's crowd work, whether it's a joke, whether it, whatever it is, it was just constantly, you know, reminding the audience that A, this isn't easy and B, you got to learn from your mistakes. Right. I want to skip ahead in the timeline a little bit here. I know we just talked about your first open mic, but I want to talk about your first ever time doing the Tonight Show, right? Because you've yeah. you've done it ten times. Were nine of those with Leno? Uh they were not. Well, nine of them were with Leno. One of them was with Conan. So it's weird to like. I, I think I was one of the few, if not the maybe only person that did both in that time period, which was crazy because Leno was doing the ten o'clock, and then. Uh, Kona was doing the the like eleven fifteen or whatever it was, you know. Right. So I was I had, I had done both of them right at that weird weird time. It was it was it was a crazy time. But um, my first time, it was a huge honor because I grew up with again Carson. You know, the nights that I was allowed to stay up late, I would beg to watch the monologue because I, I I always loved it. I thought it was it was really cool. And my favorite parts were was the jokes that didn't go well for. For uh for Carson, so I really enjoyed that. But uh, first time I did it, I I thought my heart rate was skipping so high that you could see my tie moving because I was so so nervous. Because to me, it it meant something at the time I did it. It still meant something. Um, so it was really cool. And and for my parents to see, you know, my name in the opening credits, it again, it was really really cool to share that with my with my folks. Um, you know, in that moment in time, it was great. But but nowadays, it just uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the gravity or cachet, especially within the industry that it used to. Right. And so, how are you feeling on the tenth time that you did the Tonight Show when you have nine other appearances under your belt? I was. It was I mean, it was a blast because then you kind of know the stage manager. You know, you know, uh, Bob, Bob, and uh, and Ross Mark, and like uh, you're getting to know everybody, so you feel really comfortable. Um, and I think the thing about those late night talk shows is that, especially the first time you do it, you're you're thinking, you know, millions of people are watching this. And I think it took me the second or third time to understand the trick of it is ignore the cameras, ignore that facet of you're on television, you're professional. There's a crowd here of 250 people. Play to the crowd. Entertain the crowd. Win the crowd over. Ignore the fact that they're telling you, oh, it's a TV set. I don't care. I'm doing what I want to do to survive in the, over the course of these four and a half minutes. And I'm going to make these 250 people uh, a like me and b hopefully laugh. And so the minute I ignored the cameras and just started locking in on the faces and not thinking anything other than 
I got to make that woman laugh, that guy laugh, that guy laugh. That was it. That was it. And and it, it just made those sets go so much quicker and so much easier for me. And I, I was able to enjoy them because I treated it like a club set. So do you get to have like a Tonight Show uh, punch card for like the 10th time you get to do a guest host spot? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish I did. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll tell you, during, during that whole experience, too, um, Leno couldn't have been classier or kinder or sweeter um, every single time I did it. You know, I at that time, I'd done virtually everybody, and uh, and he was by far the nicest. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, you, you watch Leno, and, and, you know, they just don't make him like that anymore. I, I would say that him and Letterman were probably the last two, like, you know, classic, like, late-night guys. Well, they I were both, like. they, they came from, you know, the comedy store. They were road guys. They were, they yeah. were real, real comics, you know? I'm not knocking any of these guys, but James Corden is a sitcom actor. You know, he's a personality. Uh, Jimmy Fallon comes from sketch. He's probably the one that that probably toured the most. He actually did stand up. Uh, it's not that he was known for stand up. He was obviously known for SNL, and he didn't have to do stand up. He would tour occasionally, but um, out of all those guys, I think Fallon, you know, at least for me, was uh, was like the the more traditional uh mm -hmm. in terms of like what we had what we would expect from a late night talk show host yeah right jay leno was still touring while he was uh, you know hosting the tonight show yeah like that yeah, still still tours it's unbelievable you know like that was his bread and butter was was touring as a comedian because i remember he would come here um we live on the gulf coast because he would come to the casinos all the time and I, like yeah there's some people that crazy. just love it i think he's almost robotic in mm -hmm. terms of like he's so programmed and dialed into it it just like he doesn't know any other way um i i, I don't know I, I always respect somebody like that because i, I think i think 85 percent of us if if you're given <laughs> you know, like the guy's like 50 million in the bank and you're still going out to like you know chucky's casino and you know whatever the fuck it, it's just like goddamn, you still want to do this okay it's unbelievable that's the call yeah, of for it, sure. <laughs> Just being yeah. on that stage, telling jokes, making people laugh. There's some, there's some kind of weird voodoo magic there. Yeah, fuck that. I mean, I take my fifty million and run. But <laughs> I am done. I'm sitting home. I'm watching Phantom Menace. I'm gonna crank up the speaker, watch the pod racing. You know, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's this shit. <laughs> it's got to be in the chin, right? Like, there's some kind of special juju hidden in there. It's got to be. Yeah, it's a, this beacon of hope. Just. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Jay Leno's chin is the fountain of youth. Like, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's had it this whole time. He's 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 able to sleep in a freaking days in at 80 something years old. Unreal. What a what a talent. And and obviously, like like you know, when I started working in New York City, I heard like he back in the day was the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Like everybody was like, he is legit the guy, just a total crusher. And I would go every now and then watch him at the Comedy Magic Club uh, in Hermosa Beach in California. He would do Sunday nights, even when he was on The Tonight Show. And he always had, obviously, new material. He had that band of, jo of joke tellers and writers for him, but crushed, absolutely crushed. Right. We're getting close to the... I, I hate that we're getting close to the end of this interview, man, because there are so many things that we have not touched on yet, dude. One we thing I want to ask, about... I got to ask him, he's got... If you're watching this on video, Steve has a, a comic book spinner rack behind him. Yes. And I got to ask you, like, are, are, you a, are you a huge comic book fan? 
Yo, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, I'd always go to Ides in Pittsburgh. Um, that's the big Ides Entertainment is the big comic book store there. Um, one one of the coolest things when I had Sullivan and Son on the air, we filmed in Warner Brothers, uh, stage ten uh, and five, and uh, Jim Lee, uh, who was head of DC, I, I think VP of DC Comics at the time, and still is. Uh, he came he came over one day. He's a, he's like I'm a huge Sullivan Son fan. I was like what? And he's Korean, you know. So it was really cool to like have Jim Lee come and visit the set, and he gave me a copy of Hush. And while we're rehearsing, he's sketching it for me. And to this day, it's like, there's a fire in my house. I'm grabbing that copy of Hush, and I'm dipping out of here. Um, but one of the greatest compliments I got was, um, there was a series called Chew back in the day. Um, and uh, I had learned through the writer that the artist had been watching my half-hour special at the time. And I came out dressed like one of the Reservoir Dogs, right? And you got this half-Asian guy dressed in a black suit and skinny tie. And so Chu aesthetically was based off of who I am, half Asian in a black suit, skinny tie. And so, you know, I look at these pictures of Chu and I'm like, oh my God. And so to get like an autographed book of like, hey, thanks for inspiring us. It was like, that. that is super sick. And again, one of those things where you're just doing jokes, you're just telling stand-up. And over the course of your career, you never know where you end up. You never know you know, what surprises are around the corner. But that, that to me was one of the wildest experiences I've ever had. Cause I remember reading it back in the day and then to have those guys say, yeah, you, uh, you, you inspired, uh, she was like, that's fucking sick. Have you ever thought about maybe trying your hand at, at maybe writing some comic? No, no, I, I, I love, um, I love narrative too much. So I'm getting ready to film my, you know, the opening act I got to do, I'm filming this second uh, film very shortly. Um, and once I understood the foundation and, and pillars of storytelling uh, narratively for feature, it's something where I just, I, I really fell in love with it. So, uh, you know, prior to, I would just go out, do my jokes, come back, do a little bit of writing here and there. And now I go out on the road and I, I write these scripts. So we're gonna, we're gonna bang out this second one, uh, I think in early 2024. Um, so we'll see what happens, yeah. Awesome. Very excited to give that a watch whenever it uh, does come to see the light of day. Uh, Mr. Byrne, please yes. tell everybody, uh, where, where can they stream your most recent comedy special, The Champagne of Comedy? Champagne of Comedy is at Punch Up Live. So just Google Steve Byrne, Punch Up Live, and Punch Up Live. It's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy platform uh, that's I really feel like a game changer in the world of comedy right now because essentially what happens is we're comedy um, content providers, right? So no matter where we put this stuff up, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, Patreon, et cetera, et cetera, the business model is we create the content, they collect the most valuable asset, which is data. And what punch-up is is basically saying, no, let's reverse engineer it and make a platform strictly for entertainers, especially comedians because we create so much content. So what you do is we put the content up and then we, we as comics, we as entertainers, we as content providers have direct access to the people that enjoy our material. So, you know, for example, you put an hour special on YouTube and you pray to God people watch it. Then you pray to God people follow you on your socials. Then you pray to God people see the, the post you did. I'm in Cleveland. And then you hope that they buy tickets. So it's kind of like this diminishing funnel where it's like a punch up. It's like you put the special up and you have direct access to them. So 
it eliminates the middleman and there's no suppression or censorship. So for me, I was really excited to be a part of it uh, from the very beginning and very excited to put my content exclusively on there. So awesome. it's, a, it's a pretty cool format and more and more comics are jumping on board. Joe List jumped on, Sam Morell, uh, Joe Gatto's jumping on very shortly. Josh Wolf is putting something up. Uh, a bunch of other names I can't mention right now, but a lot of New York guys are jumping on. So it's going to be pretty cool. It's a it's a good platform for sure. I mean, I I looked at it a little bit when I was uh, watching the Champagne of Comedy, and you know, it's it's surprising that something like this has not come to fruition yet, and I'm I'm happy yeah. that it has. Um, okay, so definitely go watch the Champagne of Comedy. Definitely rent or buy the opening act on YouTube or Amazon Prime. Um, one last question before we sure. start saying goodbye, Steve. This this is sort of the pinnacle question that we've built our podcast around. Okay. Uh, we've we've asked our biggest guests this, you know, guys like Sean Patton, uh, Sam Talent. For my money, you're you're probably the biggest guest that we've we've had on in terms I'm of so stand up comedy. Guys. It's gonna get better. <laughs> it's just like your comedy careers. It's only gonna get better. I promise. You. It's only up for here, baby. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but of course, I mean, you're you know you know that you're widely respected in, in the, the comedy industry. So I'm very excited to ask you this question. Uh, okay. When was the last time you shit your pants as a grown man? <laughs> well, hold on one second. Let me show you this, okay? This is, is it shit in your pants? pants? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> if he comes back with yeah. some shitty drawers. I think you guys are going to this. Uh, well, for me personally, the last time I did, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a few years. Cause I've learned, I've learned the recipe of why it happened to me right. because when it happens to you, you, you instantly start like matlocking it and like Sherlock Holmes that you're like, wait, what did I eat? Like, how did this happen? And you, you spin the clock back. It's like, oh, chili and ice cream at three in the morning at Denny's is probably not a good recipe before you do morning yeah. radio. So, but I'll tell you this, I was, um, I was working with a young gentleman named Colin Jost, who you guys know, uh, he's on Weekend Update, and he mm -hmm. had been featuring for me. Now, I was performing at the Punchline in Sacramento, and I was on a fucking hot roll. I could not, like, it was one of those where I was like, the audience is just like, bang, and I got him on the palm of my hand. And I, I'm doing this joke, and it's crushing, like I've never crushed before. I was like, whoa, this is fucking crazy. And I remember there was a little incident at the peak of one of the jokes, and that was it. That was it, right? So I come off stage, and Colin Jost goes, dude, I got to show you something. I go, okay. And he takes me out, okay? And there is um, shit in the middle of the hallway, okay? Now, keep in mind, this is the early show. There's a late show, so there's a second show, and there's a line of people, but there's like shit. Like outside the club door. I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this? And I was, you know, you instantly think, did, did, did somebody bring their dog or whatever? He goes, dude, you made a guy laugh so hard, he got up and he shit his pants <laughs> in front of the. So Colin gave me this. That's it. Wow. He's like, you oh my God. Of it. And that's the shit in the sidewalk. And right there, it says, Steve Byrne made a man shit his pants. Early show, January oh 22nd, God. 2010. And that's from. My boy Colin Joe. So this is one of the prized possessions I have in my office. And I'm not making this up. That was in California. Three months later, I was at Yuck Yucks in like Calgary in Alberta. And same joke. 
Same thing happened. I made a dude, but this guy didn't make it out of the showroom. It was like towards the back of the room. He shit his pants. So, so gentlemen, <laughs> domestic and international. I've made people shit their pants at my shows. I'm, I'm, it's the most proud I've ever been in my career. Yeah. Steve, what kind of demographic of people come to your show? <laughs> well, I think uh, it, it, just imagine 250 chumleys. Um, okay. that's, who's, that's who's at my show, apparently. People that eat at Arby's and love beef jerky and Red Bull. And I, I think that's, yeah, just time. Just uh, They're waiting to detonate the bomb in their tummy. That's going to be the name of my first album, 250 Chumleys. <laughs> well, you said you were on a hot roll, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's what Jacob calls his morning shits. I mean, a nice hot roll. Hot roll, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but Steve, when, when was the last time that you personally loaded you personally, your underpants? I, 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 I mean, I think the, the last time I did it, and it's funny because every time it happens, I always text Colin Jost. Because, <laughs> I, of course, yeah, me too, dude. He, that's, that's what everyone does. <laughs> he has stories. I'm telling you, his book, A Very Punchable Face, is one of the funniest reads. Yeah. It's a great book. But he is the guy you think, oh, he's got it together. He went to Harvard. He's married to a movie star and Avenger. He's head writer of SNL on Update. You would never think he's got the most shit his pants stories of anybody I know in my life. He's really? shit his pants on first dates. He shit his pants uh, during finals at Harvard. Like, uh, like his book it tells about it all. It, it, it's hilarious. Um, this so man is married I'm... to Scarlett Johansson, and he's shitting oh, his yeah. pants like every ten minutes. Like, what the hell? I have a chance in life, dude. <laughs> oh, the I last time I was hanging out with him, he uh, he's like, he's like, he's like, he was asking her. He's like, should I have some ice cream? She's like, oh, are you scared you're gonna shit your pants? He's like, I think it's worth it. <laughs> and so he's like, they're so like comfortable about it. But yeah, I, I, anytime I've had close calls or I have, I've texted him because it's like one of the, one of those things, just like, I've always respected him being so open about it. it it's probably been a few years though. I, I, I'll never forget the first time I did it. The first time I did it, I was, I was in my early thirties on the road and it was never as bad or as worse as this one. Um, I hooked up with a girl, single at the time. We go back to the hotel. We hook up, have a great time. And then I, I had morning radio. So it's, it's Thursday night. So Friday, I wake up. I got to go do morning press. I go do the morning radio. And then I get in the elevator and I press the button. And as we go up, I just had this like hot flash. I've never had it before in my life where just like everything got super hot for 10 seconds. I felt sweat beads come out and then it stopped. And I was like, oh, that was weird. And then all of a sudden, like, just I completely shit my pants. And it wasn't even like there wasn't a fart. There wasn't like a warning flare. The warning flare was the hot, the hot flash I had. But I was like, it wasn't even a question. There wasn't even like, did I just shit? I absolutely knew definitively 100%. I was like, oh, you just shit your pants. So then the door is open. I'm like, oh, God, there's a world out here. And I'm kind of like, you know, creeping over in my hotel room. And then I'm like, oh my God, is this girl still in my room? And I swipe the card oh, no. and I look in and she's passed out in the bed. I'm like, oh my God, she's fucking sleeping here. So I'm like looking down the hallway. It's like eight in the morning. I'm, I don't know what to do. I take my pants off and I run over the Pepsi machine and I throw my pants away. I go back to my room. I run in, I take a shower 
Mission impossible, not at all. I, I cleared the fence, I did it, nobody knows I shit my pants. It worked out beautifully, right? I crawl in the bed, and the minute I crawl in the bed, the girl kind of like rolls over and she goes, oh no. I'm like, what? She's like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh, maybe I didn't shower enough. Maybe she's picking up, maybe she knew. And she goes, I am so sorry. I go, what? She goes, sometimes when I drink too much, I piss the bed and I, I pissed your bed. And I was like, I was just sitting there, I was like, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, she's I, like, what? Completely I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. We're, 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 all, we're all human, we make mistakes. She's like, well, you're being really cool, but I've had this happen a few times with, with some guys and they get pissed. I'm like, not this guy. This guy doesn't get pissed. <laughs> she's like, thank you for being so cool. And I, in my head, I was like, you want to see how cool I am? Follow me with a Pepsi machine. I'm going to show you something by the government can. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm going to leave before I get murdered now. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, baby. I've loaded up my shorts a little while ago. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You want to go shopping for some khakis? Uh, I got to go to the Gap. Uh, okay. And, and this is where we get to see how many diehard fans we have of this podcast, because I... I need everyone to tag Colin Jost on social media to come on our show <laughs> and tell us all of his shitting his pants stories. Because we built a listener book. base off of this. His book, I, I think I have it over here with my books, A Very Punchable Face. His book is so good. After I read it, I said, do you mind if I sell your book as my merch? Because it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's so good, dude. Um, definitely need to get Colin Jost on this podcast. Have you perchance ever shit your pants while wearing a suit? Because I know the suit is sort of your mainstay. No, I've never shit my pants wearing the suit. I will tell you, I have absolutely split my pants wearing okay. my suit. Uh, I split my pants recently. was probably two years ago. I do this thing called Sausage Party at the very end where I bring up a bunch of people on stage. I create this boy band. And, and the, uh, you know, I, I have like, uh, I wouldn't say they're like skinny. It's like a skinny mm -hmm. fit, I guess, right? But what happened is I brought this girl on stage. And so it's like five or six guys and we dance for the girl. And usually I give the girl like the pseudo lap dance. Um, and I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but she was very uh, just bigger than most girls. <laughs> yeah. And so she's like, I, I like them, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I is what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, so I, I went to straddle her. And as soon as I straddled her, I just started. And I was like, ah, shit, I just ripped my pants. And it, was, it wasn't just like a tear. It was like yes. the back seam all the way to like the undercarriage. Oh. It completely shredded. And so, you know, I just like, instead of turning around, I just kind of moonwalked to the back and then did close the bit. And I said, good night, everybody. And I kind of like sidestepped off stage. And I, I went back and I completely, my whole pants were just completely ripped. That is hilarious. At least, at least your balls didn't fall out like uh, like no, Lenny Kravitz. No. Oh my god, it was so embarrassing. It was the, it was so bad. Uh, Joey Image, who is a retired wrestler in our chat room, he says, "Oh God, I've I've split my pants during a match more than once." Oh, because those guys, I, I assume they're not like. Are they wearing underwear or like a jockstrap? I assume. But if you're wrestling, it's not like you're wearing Hanes yeah. with those like you know fire red spandex pants. You're just yeah. throwing out the big old hot sack of balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to just roll with it. Like, oh, no, this was what was supposed to happen. It's part of it. Yeah, it's part of it, right? 
It is they make it like a part of next week's match. It's like yeah. oh, it's a, <laughs> the split your pants match. <laughs> well, Steve, For before you go, you got to plug the uh, the podcast too because I'm a huge podcast listener and I love the podcast. Oh yeah, love comedy pinata, dude. Yeah, comedy pinata. I love doing it. It was so fun. It was so fun doing it. But I just ran out of bandwidth because mm-hmm. again, I'm getting ready to do this uh, film. But uh, I do a show with uh, Joe Gatto from Practical Jokers called Two Cool Moms, and we help everybody with their queries, with their questions. If you have issues in your life, you uh, DM us or write us on Instagram and we answer your questions on the air. So we're, we're, we just signed with iHeartRadio and it's gonna be premiering in the next week or two. Cool. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to get to work with Joe and it's a fun podcast. To do. I love Joe Gatto so much. He, he I hate, I don't, I, he was my favorite joker, <laughs> you know? And, oh, he's, he's great, yeah, he's, he's a, all four of those guys. They're the nicest guys in the world. They're all super sweet. They're grounded. They're hilarious mm-hmm. in their own way. And those are guys where if you go out in public with any of them, I mean, I've got some really famous friends. The reaction they get is unlike anything else because they're on TV 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. And the accessibility. And you go anywhere with the four of them, it's like, I mean, forget it. I, I tell over. them it's like going out with the Beatles, but it, all four of you are Ringo. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, you mean the best Beatle, dude? <laughs> All four of you are the best Beatle. And Joey, Joey in the chat room, he said, I was in a suit the first time with boxers on and 12 minutes left in the match. Oh, That's Joey, I love you, but pro wrestling's dumb. Why are you doing that? In a suit? In a suit, dude? Yeah. Please hey, welcome I love wrestling. Uh, Joey's going to fly down here and uh, take you out if you say anything bad about wrestling. That's fine, dude. Come down here and take me out to a dinner. What are you going to do? You're a pro wrestler. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're going to slay me through a chair? <laughs> I would love to. Actually, that should be a Patreon content. All right, we should do that for Patreon content. All right, we got we to gotta wrap this up, Jay. We're rambling now. Um, Steve, please tell everybody what you want them to know. Where can they follow you? What do you want the people to check out? Just go to Punch Up Live. Check out the new special if you want. I have a Crowdwork special dropping tomorrow. Um, and follow my socials, you know, everything is at Steve Burn Live. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you enjoy the journey, obviously, this is Open Micro's podcast. If you enjoy the journey, especially at the very beginning, uh, the opening act is like kind of like a love letter to anybody at the beginning of their journey, uh, no matter what it might be. You know, it could be poetry, it could be writing, it could be, you know, whatever the passion is. In this film, it happens to be about stand up and uh. It's taking all those things that really did happen to me at the very beginning of my career and putting them into those four days. So it's a it's a film I'm really proud of. I'm glad we got to do it, and um, I'm glad you guys got to appreciate it and check it out. So thank you so much for, I for loved watching it. It, it means I, a lot to me. So thank you. I loved it. So everybody out there, go go check well. out the movie, it, the, the opening act. It's it's fantastic. But anything else you got left to say, Jacob? I know you're lagging a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have stupid country blumpkin internet. Um, yeah, dude, just that my don't tell set uh, for Ocean Springs is going to be this weekend. It's going to be at, uh, I think the place of it is the Jackson Pearl House or something like that in Ocean Springs in downtown. So uh, come check that out. I'll be doing a set there. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, we have a lot of fun guests coming on. We're finishing out this month with uh, Tom Cotter and Matt O'Brien, who was a uh, staff writer on Conan. Uh, I just booked Sean Donnelly today for next month. So, yeah, we've got plenty of uh, fun stand-ups and and writers coming on for you guys. And uh, definitely get in that Patreon if you are enjoying what we're doing. 
And uh, as far as me, I don't have any comedy stuff coming up, but I do have some shows with Falls from Grace, the band. We got some stuff coming up in New Orleans soon, so I will get those dates to everybody as soon as I get them. So just be following me at JFunktastic pretty much everywhere. And Steve, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. It no, been thank you guys for having me. Appreciate pleasure. it. It was a lot of fun. And good and luck to you guys. Worthy. Hopefully we'll see you on the road, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, worthy. if you want to email us, you can email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. You can go to openmicers.com. Also, linktree slash openmicerspodcast takes you everywhere you need to go to find everything we're doing, the Patreon, all that stuff. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at openmicers, at jfunktastic, at Jacob C. Craig, and at Jacob Craig Comedy. We love you guys, and we will see you again next week. Wrestling is cool. Don't put me through a chair, please. <laughs> This podcast is a Zoo House LLC production.